Unfound Live is brought to you by its supporters at PayPal, Patreon, YouTube, and its gracious advertisers. On this episode, I recount the disappearance and discovery of Michael Chambers. I go over recent news regarding Jorn Vandersloot. I wonder why a husband stuck around. And I cover a bunch of other stuff, including my upcoming teachable course. I'm Ed Densel, and this is Unfound Live for May 15th, 2023. Hello, everyone. How is everybody out there doing? How was everybody's Mother's Day weekend? I hope it was all good for all of you. Of course, this is the live show, the Unfound Live Show for May 15th, 2023. As you can tell by the description and the title of this live show tonight, lots to talk about and uh, some stories that are out there. Actually, there's at least one story that uh, I didn't get to last week, but I'm surely going to get to it tonight. In fact, it'll be the first um, technically news story uh, that I'll be doing. And uh, it's been getting a lot of attention. It's a disappearance uh, where uh, a guy's been finally found. I don't know what um, caused the death or anything like that, but we're going to get to that. And this is not, I'm not talking about Bowman. I'm talking about a disappearance that Unfound did not cover. And as you can tell, we're going to be talking about a husband who got poisoned. We're going to be talking a little bit about Natalie Holloway which I think, believe it or not, is her disappearance. I don't think I've ever talked about it before on a live show ever. I just don't remember it at all. Of course, I do uh, talk about a lot of uh, incidents, disappearances, murders that Unfound is not covered. Um, of course, talked about Sherry Papini. And Missy Beavers and a bunch of others, but Natalie Holloway's for somehow, somehow I've missed it. And so I'm just going to take a look at that tonight. And, and the reason is, is because the guy who is believed to have murdered her, uh, his name has been in the news this past week. So it kind of put that on my agenda. But before I get into all of that, I hope all of you will remember to, uh, as you are watching tonight, Gonna hit the, the thumbs up, please. Hit the thumbs up, like this video, subscribe. The button's down there in the bottom bottom right hand corner. Maybe you're watching this uh, live show the, for the first time, just hearing about it. And you should know that I, I anticipate this summer uh, probably going to be doing a little more advertising for the live show than I've ever done before. It's on my agenda, and I'll maybe get into that a little bit later. But please uh, give this video a thumbs up, and you know what to do. That's down there. No matter what kind of device 
you are using. In addition, you can support Unfound and everything that we do. If you like what we do, you support the kind of uh, true crime journalism, missing persons journalism that goes on here, please hit the join button below and consider joining for a very, very low cost per month. Or maybe you want to join us over there on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. So let me, uh, boy, I don't even have the right screen over here. What am I doing? Uh, okay, let's get this all set up. Okay, but uh, luckily I'm feeling a lot better than I did last Monday. I tell you what, last week I barely got through the live show. Last week, I, you know, I don't get sick. I get allergies and I have asthma once in a while. I really don't get sick, but I'm here to tell you. Last week, I'm thinking it even started during the, the disc golf tournament that I played last month, like a couple of days ago, but a, nine days ago. It actually started, I think, during the tournament on Saturday. And then I think I told you that on Sunday morning, I got up and like the roof of my mouth was kind of raw and had all this stuff going on in kind of the like around my eyes and my sinuses and everything. And I, I'll tell you, I was completely out of it Sunday, you know, and then Monday did the live show, barely got through it. Tuesday, I, I you know, I had to get the episode done for last week. But that was like the minimum. I was just doing the absolute minimum of everything last week. And I would say that I really didn't start to feel like myself again until about Thursday. Still fine now. Um, still coughing up a lot of phlegm, not to disgust all of you. But, you know, I'm, do- I'm breathing fine. I've, I've been doing my singing exercise, of course, uh, that I'm getting back into. Because I was sick, I couldn't do them. But I'm breathing fine during my singing exercise. These um, the lessons that I do every day that take about 45 minutes. So it's like 45 minutes of controlled breathing and using your voice and everything. And they've gone fine the last few days. But I'm telling you, once in a while, I'll just I'll be fine, and all of a sudden I'll start coughing and stuff will start coming up. Was it COVID? I don't know. I didn't get tested. But really, the the main thing was just kind of just feeling wiped out and I think like I don't know last Wednesday night Thursday night Friday night I slept like 12 hours straight and you know I'm a I'm a pretty good sleeper anyway I can I can fall asleep like that but I slept slept for like 12 hours straight no problem like three nights in a row and that just shows you also something was going on but I'm feeling really good now except for the coughing a lot of energy might even go play uh, disc golf tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to play with the doubles group or not, but I got to get out tomorrow. And I had had to miss trivia last week, which, you know, I love trivia going. Had to miss it last week because of all of this. So um, really knocked me out. In fact, I will tell you also that on Friday, I really didn't have a lot to eat here. So... I actually went and did some food shopping on Friday, and I'm I'm telling you, just driving to the Publix over there, walking around the store for like 20 minutes, and then coming back, I was wiped out. (laughs) Like I said, here's something. 
<clears throat> Here's some of that coughing, like I said, that comes up once in a while. I was totally wiped out just from doing that. So that just shows you something was going on. Sounds like COVID to me, but what do I know? Luckily, I'm not around anybody anyway. So um, Marty says, "May sounds like it may have been COVID. Yeah, I got it somewhere. I don't know where. I don't know where. All I know is that Sunday morning when I woke up, I was like, yep, this is trouble. This is trouble. Something's not right. And I, and I really was, you know, because, you know, I think my, our, my perception is we, we as guys, uh, my perception as a man, as a 52-year-old man, we're not, it doesn't seem, you know, we don't like going to the doctor. We don't like going to the dentist. It, women are certainly telling the truth when we say, you know, the men in their lives, when they get sick, they're like big babies. Absolutely true. I'll never argue with a woman about that at all. It's absolutely true. I'm a big baby when I get sick. I don't have really have any, I don't have anybody to complain to here, but I was a big baby. And, but I will say, I think that I'm, you know, I tend to be, as I think a guy, very in tune with my body, probably because I have these allergies and all these things that have popped up in recent years, FODMAP issues, allergy issues, lactose intolerance issues, all these things. And, you know, and I'm not afraid to go to the doctor and I'm not afraid to go to the dentist and everything. So I think that's why, like on Sunday morning when I got up, I was like, man, something is not right. I knew it right away, within seconds. As soon as I opened my eyes on Saturday, last Saturday, Sunday morning, I was like, something is not right. Even though I was breathing fine and I felt rested, I could just tell something was going on. And it just got worse from there. But I'm feeling good now. Like I said, you can hear this cough that I still have. Don't If you hear it, don't worry. It's it's a sounds a lot worse than it is. <coughs> but it's just finally all this stuff that built up, all loosening up and coming out. And, uh, you know, I'm sure I'm going to be fine. So let's see who's in here, and then we'll get into all the true crime stuff. And I don't know if uh, Shree's going to be here or not. I don't see her in the chat yet. Uh, she's doing some driving today and she was not sure if she was going to make it or not, which is fine. Hello, Karen. Hello, Charles. What's going on, Charles? Good to see you. Hope you're doing well out there. Everything 2023. Beautiful peeps. Hello, Deborah. Uh, yes, I typed in there. Please go check out this new project. I'm going to be talking about it later. Uh, how to podcast better than anyone.teachable.com. Please go check that out. Go find the page on Facebook. Thank you, everything. Hello, Jasmine. Lisa pasted a link for how. Thank you, Lisa. Kathy, what's going on? And like I said, Kathy, if you're having any problems commenting or posting or anything uh, tonight, let me know. Hello, Glenn. What's going on with you? Good to see you. Twinkle, Carrie, assistant Carrie. Uh, I want to remind everybody, Carrie and Jill. Uh, Jill's in here too. Jill's up. What's up, Jill? Um, both of them are now, what is it? Uh, you have two episodes out of your podcast now, Missing Chapters. I hope everybody will check that out. I've mentioned that in a couple of Unfound episodes. Please uh, check that out. Thank you, Deborah. Hello, Marty. Uh, Twinkle says you definitely look like you feel better. I do, and I took a shower this evening as well, and you know, got shaved for all of you and stuff. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty clean there, Twinkle. Uh, Marty, like you said before, sounds like I have been COVID. That's what I'm thinking. 
Um, Delane, what's going on, Delane Moana? What's going on, nurse? I just had the same thing, not COVID, though. Interesting. Okay, nurse. So it sounds like you had what I had, but you got tested. Um, it's interesting. It was not COVID. Okay, thank you. And Delane, I warned you last week, you may be sick with a viral infection going around. Could have been, Delane. It was simply some sort of virus or something. This is not uh, asthma or, you know, anything like that. There was certainly something that got into my body that uh, it didn't like. And you're in Wisconsin. Wow, Wisconsin. See, I can do that in upper Midwest accent. Wisconsin. And Carrie says, uh, two are out, three, four, and five are in the process of being written. The missing uh, chapters. Got to put the the in there. Sorry, Carrie. So it, the podcast is called The Missing Chapters. And, <coughs> and Carrie and Jill are uh, going, taking a deep dive on the disappearance of Paul Sanders from generally the Phoenix area of Arizona. That's a disappearance we covered on Unfound early last year, 2022. And they've been doing a lot of great work on it, I'm guessing, for over a year now. And so go check The Missing Chapters out. It is on uh, all the popular podcast apps, just like Unfound is. And Marty says, I got to check that podcast out. Kathy, hey, Delane, hope you're having a fantastic time in Wisconsin. Not Wisconsin, Wisconsin. And so there you go. I uh, should state that uh, I didn't put a request out there, but if anybody uh, does want to ask me any questions tonight about anything, I did not put that in the discussion group. But if anybody wants to ask me anything about anything that's going on out there, true crime related or not, missing persons related or not, Whatever it may be, if you feel like asking me anything, you can put it right there in the chat. Maybe you want to use the super chat to do that so I make sure I don't miss it by hitting the rectangle with the dollar sign in there. And that way you can contribute to Unfound at the same time as you're asking me a very, very important question, whatever question that may be. All right. I'm going to first get to... The story that I did not get to last week. And so it's going to be quite a bit of reading. I'm going to read um, the original entry on the Charlie Project. You know, my friend Megan Line has this website, charlieproject.org. It's, it's, it's amazing how, many, how long I've been saying. Of course, before she was uh, married, it was Megan Goods, my friend Megan Goods' website, charlieproject.org. And now it's my friend Megan Lyonez's website, Charlie Project. And you know, I say that, of course, anytime that the disappearance is on there. Um, but so I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to read the recent article regarding this particular disappearance because remains have been found. And then I'm going to do a little comment on it. I'm, I'm guessing at least some of you know about this disappearance. This is not a disappearance that Unfound covered. Some others, I think John Lorden might have uh, covered this disappearance as one time. I'm guessing it's been blogged about. It seems to have gotten a lot of tension when it happened, given the circumstances. And But I can't remember 
Really cannot remember if we made an attempt to try to reach out to this guy's family or not. I, I just can't remember, and I didn't ask Emily about that either. Anyway, this has to do with the disappearance and then discovery, recent, very, very recent discovery of Michael Chambers. I'm going to read to you the page from the Charlie Project, and I'm going to read to you an article written about how he was found. Michael Chambers was last seen in Quinlan, Texas on March 10th, 2017. He went to Walmart at 11 a.m., purchased some makeup for his wife and some other items, then returned to his residence in the 7,000 block of FM 2101. It's like a country road to work in his home workshop where he restored cars as a hobby. He has never been heard from again, and a trail of blood spots confirmed by DNA to be Chambers' blood were later found in that workshop. His wife, who last spoke to him at 8 a.m., reported him missing after she arrived home from work that night and the house was empty. House was empty. There were no indications of a struggle, and it's not clear whether Chambers was forcibly abducted or whether he injured himself in his workshop shop, and left seeking help. Authorities stated that the blood trail in the workshop could have been staged. Once again, this is from the Charlie Project. All of Chambers' vehicles were left behind at home, as were his keys and wallet, but his cellular phone, driver's license, and some cash were missing. Investigators believe he went missing sometime between 12, so noontime that day, and 3 p.m. Shortly after Chambers' disappearance, his wife removed him from their cellular phone plans, sold his collection of restored classic cars, and had him declared legally dead. She stated she was struggling financially. Chambers' adoptive son had recently argued with him about money, and he was questioned by police and took a polygraph. He passed the polygraph and had an alibi for the time that his father disappeared. Chambers' wife attempted to take a polygraph, but her husband's case for her husband's case in June 2017, but due to prescription medication she was taking, the test could not be completed. Authorities discovered she had multiple affairs during their marriage. She said her husband knew about this, but never confronted her. Police traced Chambers' cellular phone signal to a bridge on Lake Tawakoni. Hope I'm probably not pronouncing that right, 17 miles from his home. The signal switched off at about 5.53 a.m. the day he disappeared, which is a little weird being that he was way over, um, seemingly still at his house going to the Walmart on that same day. That's a little hard to understand. Investigators speculated he rode a bike out there and jumped off a bridge in a suicide. However, Tramber's only bicycle was in disrepair and was left behind at home. His loved ones don't think he could have ridden a bike that far because he had bad knees and divers found no signs of his body under the bridge. His case remains unsolved and the circumstances of his disappearance uh, are unclear. So that was once again, the page from the Charlie project that uh, was written at the time of his disappearance. And to remind all of you, this happened on March 10th, 2017. So this is only, six months into the life of, into the existence of Unfound. And I really do remember uh, seeing this uh, back at the time. This is one of those uh, disappearances that I do remember when it happened back in 2017. So let's just see what everybody's saying. 
Um, Deborah can't seem to pull up the missing chapters on the Stitcher. On Stitcher, Ugh, may uh, Dave, uh, Trace, uh, Carrie, or Jill, maybe you want to help Deborah out with that if you're both in, still in the chat. If they li- should like to listen to your uh, podcast, feel free to uh, post a link to your podcast there in the chat. Of course, I have no problem with that. Kathy, dis- disappeared covered Michael a few years ago, and John covered it too, as you said. Sounded like a suicide. Okay, Kathy. So, more recently... On November 30th, 2022, so what, six months ago, the Raines County Sheriff's Office was notified of the discovery of possible human remains in a wooded area just off U.S. Highway 276, east of the city of East Tawakoni, Texas. The Texas Rangers and the Hunt County Sheriff's Office assisted the Raines County Sheriff's Office with the recovery and investigation into the remains. The remains were sent to the University of North Texas Center for Human Identification in Fort Worth, Texas. This is also where NamUs is run. To be examined and to seek identification of the remains. Since the recovery of the remains, investigators have awaited the results of the examination, the process of obtaining a DNA profile, and process of identifying the DNA profile. The Hunt County Sheriff's Office recently obtained the res- results. This is just within the last two weeks. So it took them not quite six months to figure out uh, the DNA situation. And in contact with the family members of the identified person, the Hunt County Sheriff's Office has learned the remains located in Raines County are the remains of Michael Glenn Chambers. Michael Chambers was a retired Dallas firefighter and was reported missing on March 10th, 2017. Hunt County Sheriff Terry Jones stated, I asked for the continued prayers for the Chambers family. Mr. Chambers' family have, has waited for answers for a long time, and I hope this brings some closure to the Chambers' family. This remains an open investigation, and my office will continue to diligently investigate this case. This is an open investigation. No further information will be released at this time. Okay. So uh, kind of like what I do for the Found series, and there will be another Found episode coming out for Patreon and YouTube members within the like, like the next 10 days or something like that. I'm going to talk about that later. So uh, just like those, what have I done? I've gone through the disappearance and then uh, talked to, uh, about the discovery. We just have to remember that the discovery actually happened in November of last year, and it took until May of 2023 that the DNA situation got sorted, sorted out, and it was confirmed to be Michael Chambers. Now, I went uh, in preparation for this live show. I did do a map of all of this, uh, where he approximately lived and approximately where the remains were found. And I think there's a few important things to remember. That when they say that it's, I think they said 17 miles away, I had it, Google had it at about 20 miles away, so... It's 20 miles or 17 miles away if you go by road. All right, if you're going to go from where his house was, where these blood droplets were, the whole way around to where his remains were found, it is close to 20 miles. All right, and I think with our experience of such things, that's a lot farther away than we're used to. In fact, we've talked recently about how when we have uh, like Daniel Villarreal, Robbie Hurt, 
Esther Westenbarger, Crystal Morrison, um, you know, Matthew Braswell, all of these people were found not too far from where they were last seen. Now, could Tom Brown be an exception? Maybe. But, you know, the problem, of course, we have with that is, you know, not to get into all that again, but we don't know if he's the one who parked his Durango where it was found, and we don't know if where his remains were found, if that's really where they ended up, or did the animal drag them there? We have no idea. But for all these others, they're usually found within like a mile, mile and a half, something like that. Even when we think about somebody who's been recently found alive, like Brandon Roberts, he was found not too far from where he was last seen either. But then we switch around and we have Michael Chambers, who obviously was at his house that day. I mean, it is his house. And then he's found all these miles away. But here's an important thing. Yes, it's almost 20 miles according to the road. But if you go and actually look at the two locations, it's less than five miles if you go by water. And that's something that's kind of you know been left out. Maybe some of the discussions regarding this is that his house was kind of uh, was on the west side of this lake. And where his remains were found, were found on the east side of the lake. And neither his house or where his remains were found are really far from the shorelines at all. But it would take somebody, if you want to believe this, it's something to think about. If somebody had a boat, it would have been much easier to do that than thinking about Michael Chambers at his age. Um, you know, walking or riding a bike for 20 miles and nobody seeing him. If he took a, an Uber or something, you know, there would be records of that. Surely some sort of rider, you know, a driver would have come forward. All of his vehicles were there. Of course, what we can't rule out is the idea that there was foul play here. But even in the write-up uh, in the Charlie Project, it seems uh, there was a suspicion out there that these blood drops were maybe just a little too convenient. And uh, it's one of those things where if you're going to have blood drops, then what exactly are we talking about here? Um, If there was some sort of violence, wouldn't there be like a big blood things somewhere you could certainly then understand you know dots or something little puddles going in a particular direction but there would be like a big puddle and then drops going away and it doesn't seem like that's what happened here so i just don't know um but that's something to think about if you go and do the map it's only five miles by boat between where he lived and where his remains were found. And neither the house nor where his remains were found are really far off the shore at all. So what comes to my mind, being that all his vehicles were there, and if we're not thinking that this is a uh, foul play, that Michael kind of planned this himself, I would start asking, could he have rowed a, cr- rowed a boat 
across the lake? What was what were the conditions at the time? Could he have stolen a boat? Or in the there were there any were there any stories of any boats being stolen around that time? Did somebody's boat get stolen on this lake? And then it ended up on the opposite side of the lake or was never found again or something like that. These are the things that I would be looking at as an investigator because it would be hard for me to imagine that somebody would walk 20 miles uh, to commit suicide. That really, really challenges uh, my imagination. Now, on the other hand, it very well could be this is foul play. But then we have to start thinking about why would somebody uh, – because it seems to me my perception is that this ping that they talk about – and it, and it's a little hard for me to understand, and this is one of those things where I wish I would have covered uh, this disappearance as an episode. Then maybe some of these things would have been uh, easier to understand. How was it um, that he was seen at this Walmart – he went to this Walmart at – 11 a.m. that morning, but his phone pinged over by in the area where his remains were eventually found like six hours before that. So was he setting something up? Had he? Let's be open to the idea. Did he go out that morning without his wife realizing it? Did he go out in his car and kind of start looking around for a place to kill himself, to jump off a bridge or something? And it does seem to me that I should say it seems to me that these remains were found by accident. There wasn't there weren't people out there searching again and happened upon him. I think these remains were found by <coughs> by luck. So although it does seem, like I said, that the remains were found in the general area of where his phone last pinged, even though the pinging happened before he actually went missing. At least that's the way I read it. So it's hard for me to understand a foul play angle. Why would his phone actually been out there at like six in the morning when there's proof that he was at Walmart five hours later, probably with his phone. It's all hard to, uh, you know, um, it's hard to understand. Let's see what some of these people are saying. I know that many of you are familiar with this. Uh, just getting a hello, Paula. What's going on with you? Hello, Valerie. Uh, chapter one. Uh, uh, Twinkle says foul play. Kathy, it sounded like Michael Chambers had a lot going on in his life. That is, sir. I was just going to get to that. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. Carrie, didn't I read somewhere? He was located close to his bike. I think suicide firefighters see a lot. And have a high suicide rate, yeah. Um, he had a bike, but it was at home, Carrie. Uh, they said that um, Chambers' only bike was in disrepair and was left behind at his home. So, I don't know. But as Kathy uh, stated, you know, there are reasons to think foul play and there's reasons to think suicide. On one hand... You got to hate when you hear about a disappearance and then you hear about a spouse that was cheating. We know how those things usually go. Uh, you know, there's, um, could his wife, have, you know, we have to remember after he went missing, it wasn't even proven that he was deceased and already his wife is selling stuff off 
including, you know, I'm not, you know, I probably they were, you know, the ownership was in both their names, but his hobby, she was selling off his ho- hobby. It seems fairly quickly. Now, maybe she needed the money or, or whatever else, but, you know, she should have been thinking about that when she was uh, cheating on him. <coughs> but those same reasons. <coughs> oh, man. Um, there are many reasons, though. The cheating and everything also, though, could have been the reasons that he felt depressed and could have felt suicidal. Uh, you know, there are many reasons for him to be depressed and suicidal as there were for somebody to murder him. And this is, I think, what Kathy was trying to say uh, regarding this. You know, uh, but if he's trying to commit suicide, you know, why are these things missing? Why did he take his phone? Why did he leave it pinging? Why were some things left behind? But as it's stated here, um, his cell phone, driver's license, and some, and some cash were missing. If he's really going out there, whether he w- went over to that place walking or whatever, or took a boat, um, why would he take those things with him? We know uh, so many times in these situations, now usually we're talking about younger people. We're not talking about somebody of Michael's age. Usually talking more about younger people who walk off. You know, they usually leave everything behind. So maybe this could point us toward a foul play type of scenario that he was at his house with somebody and something did go wrong. (coughs) That, you know, maybe his wife wanted him out of the picture. I don't know if there's any facts to support that, but she's the one that, you know, she removed him off their cellular phone plan, sold his collection, not one, but collection of restored classic cars quickly declared him legally dead. We know there's paperwork reasons that could be the reason, you know, cause of that. Wanting to get uh, full ownership of the house and everything, but what if he would have popped up? It just seems like jumping the gun just uh, a little bit. This is in contrast, uh, it may be to like Dorian Myers, who was declared deceased fairly quickly. But that was for the reason that she had a house. She was a single woman, but she had a son and she had these things. And I'm sure her son, Jesse, wouldn't have minded if all this went down. She's declared legally dead and then he gets control or possession of her things. And all of a sudden she pops up again alive. I am sure Jesse would not have minded that. There wouldn't have been all, you know, any sort of complication with that. There certainly would have been a complication with this. So I have to admit that I am still leaning in the in the direction of, of suicide, but it's certainly not very straightforward. And like I said, if we had had an opportunity to cover this disappearance on Unfound, maybe these, some of these things would be uh, a little earlier, easier to understand. Um, Carrie says, I think his location was hidden by design. Probably the place he went on the regular for him time. Okay, Carrie. Twinkle, the local LA may not have had the experience, expertise needed to analyze blood spatter correctly. Mm-hmm. Kathy, as I recall, Michael was a good dad, but had strayed, done some unscrupulous things. I haven't looked at his case in a, for a few years. Huh, okay. 
Well, they don't have any, uh, you know, in Megan's site, they don't have anything written about that. All she has written about is the wife who, and these are not my words, uh, Megan's words, that um, authorities discovered, so it wasn't like she came forward, but authorities discovered she had had multiple affairs during her marriage. And she said her husband knew about this, but never confronted her. Okay. Just don't know what's going on there. Uh, Maybe they had some sort of uh, open marriage or something. I guess none of my business. Uh, But, you know, if he he didn't want her doing those things, if that was not the arrangement they had, then we can see how that might have led him down a very dark place in his mind. Uh, Alistair, Ed, what do you think of the – I will get to that. Hold on, Alistair. So um, that is the disappearance of Michael Chambers. Like I said, I knew it when it happened. I I remember it. I remember reading about it. I just can't remember if myself or Emily ever reached out to anybody in his family. Maybe did. I I don't think I did. If maybe Emily did, I would have to ask her. But certainly uh, something that I knew about at the time. Now, one more thing should be pointed out is that this was a Phil Klein disappearance. That. At some point, uh, he did get involved in trying to figure out what hype happened to Michael Chambers. And surely Phil Klein was not the reason that Michael Chambers was found. But just wanted to put that out there. That this was, uh, once again, one of those ones is... Um, and if Cherie was here, uh, I could ask her that she and I... Not recently, but one time we had kind of gone through a list of disappearances that uh, Phil Klein had been involved in, and they're all they're all still unsolved. They're either unsolved or they got solved, and he had nothing to do with it. So there you go. Uh, hello, fishing. What's going on with you? Uh, checking in. That's all right. Uh, you're allowed to be late, fishing. You can catch this in the replay. It's totally fine. So Michael Chambers, like I said, wanted to get to that last week, just ran out of time. And uh, my guess is we'll just have to see if any more information uh, and see if they get a resolution of cause of death or anything like that. We'll just have to see. The, The phone ping information to me is the most confusing part. His phone pinged over in the area where he was found, but then hours later, he's back at home. He's back at this Walmart near his house, and then his remains are then found out there where the phone pinged hours before. I don't it's, – uh, it's a weird one. I don't know if we've ever – we talk so much about phone pings on Unfound. That's kind of a new one where a missing person's phone pinged in the area of seemingly their disappearance, but then they were at home and then they were at home again alive. And then they went missing. That is uh, a little hard to understand. Okay. Gary said a couple of us had our own Klein file. Yes. You too, Carrie, of course. 
Of course, uh, Carrie. Thank you. Uh, going back to Alistair Crowley. Thank you for tuning in, Alistair, uh, from the uh, afterlife. Ed, what do you think of the arrest of the partner of the 1976 Beth Doe found in Lee IPA, now identified as Evelyn pregnant? He dismembered her. I, I, I'm going to have to admit, Alistair, I haven't read anything about that. I don't. I, I admit I don't know anything about it. Missed it. A um, lot of things happening out there. I apologize. Um, if you remind me, um, maybe I can get into that next week. But I just don't know anything about it. That doesn't even sound – none of that really actually sounds familiar to me at all, to be honest with you, Alistair. Sorry. Cannot answer that. But if anybody else has any other questions, hopefully uh, I can answer those, whether they are uh, missing persons related or not. Moving on. Uh, Let's go back and just talk about a few – uh, unfound things. Uh, given that we just uh, just talk, talked about Michael Chambers, who went missing, and was found. Um, Bowman, I've not seen um, any new information since uh, the last live show over the last week. A lot of condolences. A lot of people talking about Bo. A lot of pictures being posted. Uh, I think even saw a video of him, like, talking to the camera. Um, A lot of people reaching out to his family. A lot of people reaching out uh, to the man that was in his life, Jason. Um, But nothing firm as to any cause of death or anything like that. My perception is that the finding of his remains really is not um, changed, I think, what we would say, the percentages of what people think. You know, there, you know, if you were looking like at a circle, like what we call a pie chart, and, you know, before his remains were found, you know, people thinking, well, was it foul play? Was it overdose? You know, what was Joe Good involved? Wasn't she involved? And all these different, you know, and you dice these up and see what the percentages are. I don't think the finding of his remains has, has changed much. I think that the people who think it's foul play, they see his remains being found right down the street. And that only just reinforces that our idea, their idea that it was foul play, even maybe the point that they think, you know, he wasn't even there the whole time. And how is it? You mean his remains were just there and nobody saw them for all this time. That's a little hard for them to believe. I get that. On the other hand, for those people who uh, the past, what has been since uh, December 2021, um, you know, a year and a half, who were thinking, you know what, I don't think it was foul play. It does sound to me like he relapsed, sound like he was getting ready to, you know, maybe shoot up or something. And him being found there, I think that only reinforces their ideas that um, that it wasn't uh, of any foul play nature and there was no cover-up or anything like that, because I will tell you, I'm kind of in that, to me, admittedly, I'm kind of in that same uh, thing as well. His remains being found and how they were found and where they were found really has not changed my mind uh, really at all. Unlike, for example, when Esther Westenbarger was found, I thought that there was foul play involved. We now know there wasn't. It's certainly not like that. 
Um, I continue to believe that knowing what he was doing that day and knowing what he bought at that 7-Eleven shortly before he was dropped off on Berkeley Street, I still get the idea that he was planning to meet somebody that day. And the issue is that nobody's ever come forward. And that always makes all of us suspicious. Um, so, and then on top of that, for me, I'm not telling you all how to think. I'm telling you how I think. That it's just, how is it? Did he, how did he just happen to stumble into this place that was off in an alley, you know, behind this fence and everything? You'd have to prove to me that he even knew this little area existed. What seems more probable to me is that somebody else knew that area existed. So I guess what I'm saying here is that although I'm not necessarily saying there was foul play, uh, I'm inclined to believe that somebody other than Bo himself knew what happened to him and that person or people continue to keep their mouth shut to this day. There's nothing that I've heard in the last week since his remains have been found to change my mind on that. Uh, I hope, you know, I, I've, I haven't talked to his mother in the past week. I've made no attempt to do that. Uh, but hopefully I will get to talk to her. And, you know, we had a pretty good um, rapport and I've spoken to her since she was on the episode. And so, you know, uh, hopefully she will be finding out some of these things eventually about the cause of death and if they can determine that. And um, maybe I'll find some of these things out. And if I can say anything to you, I will. Um, but there's nothing in the past week, you know, no new developments at all. And it just doesn't seem to me that it has swayed anybody in any way. I think everybody still at this point are pretty hardened into their positions regarding whatever they think happened to him. Uh, fishing, any update on Dow Phillips? None fishing. Uh, I've not. Uh, spoken to his wife Missy in a while. I know she's out there. I'm friends with her on Facebook, but I've not spoken to her in a while. You know, it's interesting you asked me about that uh, particular disappearance because the way I look at that disappearance fishing, it was to me one of the f first of all, we have to understand that when Unfound got to his disappearance and featured it in 2019, he wasn't on NamUs, he wasn't on. Uh, the Charlie Project, nothing. There was just like nothing, nothing, nothing out there regarding his disappearance at all. It was like the first one uh, that Unfound ever covered like that. All these others, you know, had been featured somewhere or on NamUs or something. But I will tell you, uh, Fishing, and the rest of you, that my mind has really not changed on Dow Phillips' disappearance. I realize that in covering it, there seemed to maybe be a foul play angle. But I think more and more we know that people, you know, Dow had some issues, had some health issues and family issues and things. I, I don't think anybody would be surprised if he walked off all on his own. I, I You know, that's we've covered a lot of disappearances since his. And, you know, I think we're all starting to get a pretty good feel 
for that type of disappearance. So uh, that's where I continue to still be on that uh, uh, fishing, and but no updates at all. Gary, I think it will be a while before we have any answers. Probably waiting on toxicology reports regarding Bowman. Okay, Gary. Kathy, fishing, I think Dow had an accident on his walk that day. Okay. Kathy, Bo probably had used in the area he was found before. <coughs> could be. Kathy, could be. I uh, just haven't heard anything regarding that. Um, I will tell all of you that I did get to speak to the woman who I mentioned who knew uh, Joe Good. I did get to speak to her. Uh, hopefully, I she was, even though she admits that she is a former user and all of that, uh, she knew nothing about this area. I told her exactly where it was. You just go down that alley. She said, if she goes, if that was a place that the homeless and people doing drugs hung out and she lives in the area, she goes, that's news to me. I didn't know anything about it. And I have to tell her, I believe her. So, uh, you know, that's just from a local who might know things like that, especially since she was at Joe's, Joe Good's place back in the day. Just not a place uh, that she was familiar with and anybody went to go to get high, you know, out of the way, you know, some abandoned property or anything like that. Um. Kathy, when an opiate addict gets his fix, he doesn't go home and use. He finds a place close by. Okay, Kathy, Twinkle, did law enforcement find Bo's computer or whatever else? Not that I've read, Twinkle. Marty, I agree, Kathy. Some will take a fix before they head out in their way. Get it as soon as possible. And like I stated, uh, I, I guess what we can't figure out is, you know, if you want to keep just Joe good out of this, it does kind of make sense that, you know, we could see a situation where Bo looked on his Google map and saw that this alleyway right by Joe good's place led down there. And he just thought, well, I'll just, you know, you know, what is this address right near this alley? Well, I'll just get dropped off there and then I can walk down the street because I don't want the, you know, the Uber driver to know, you know, where I'm going. Because, like I said, this is common. Remember what happened up when he went to the massage place? He did not get picked up at the massage place. He got picked up down the street for some reason. So you could see a situation where he gets dropped off at Joe Good's place, not knowing that she lives there. But he knows that area because that's his gym right there. And he knew he could just walk right down that alley, right to that spot to do what he was going to do. Makes all the sense in the world. On the other hand, it's just weird to me. Was he really that paranoid and everything else? Could he not just have dropped? Could he just not have gotten the Uber driver to drop him off at the corner of Santa Monica and Yale Street, which is the closest intersection? Hard to understand. I don't know. I just don't know. Um, Deborah, Bo slammed drugs, him didn't, uh, Bo slammed drugs, him did not know that. Slammed? Uh, Bo was an addict. Uh, he's allegedly gotten clean, but, 
Uh, but Deborah, I think there are reasons to believe that uh, he relapsed a few times, although I don't know if there's any proof that uh, he had relapsed at the time of his disappearance. All right, so that is uh, Bowman uh, follow-up from last week. No new info, no new you know, factual information that could better help us understand his disappearance. Just more talking, more people conjecturing and everything else. I uh, do want to get to, of course, this past Friday, we covered the disappearance of Barbara Cotton. And as I was telling... Uh, as I was telling the members of the think tank last night, and if you'd like to be in the think tank, it is patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. I was asking them, is this one of those things where I kind of did the opposite? I, I, I like to take great pride in when we cover disappearances on, on Unfound, trying to make them as easy to understand as possible. Can be difficult because some of them are very intricate. Very, very intricate. I mean, we've, you know, we've gone out into the Gulf of Mexico with uh, David Medot and his buddies. You know, we've gone, uh, you know, we did Flight 370. We've gone to other countries now. Um, you know, we, we've done a lot of things where sometimes these disappearances are very complex, but I'd like to think that when people are done listening, they have a very good handle on the, 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 the events and the investigation and everything else. I'm not saying they're automatic experts, but they have a good understanding, very solid understanding. But it came away from Barbara Cotton's episode in putting it together in the interview and everything. I was like, did... I make a very simple disappearance complex because it does seem on its face. It's very easy to understand. Barbara goes out with this guy. He says that she walked into this park never to be seen again. And man, that just sounds suspicious and just look at it that way. But then we got into her mother and all these things. And I started thinking, wow, maybe did I, uh, you know, did I, you know, cloud the main point. Uh, I think the think tank uh, did not feel that way. Maybe some of you did or do, but I, I have to admit for the first time ever, I, I started wondering, did I make this disappearance a lot more complex than it needed to be? But so anyway, uh, we did uh, have the poll in the discussion group. That's something that I do every week when we do cover a disappearance and put it in there. We have update episodes and things, but for the discussion group, and I just asked, what happened to Barbara Cotton? Did Stacy Warder mur murder her? Did her mother murder her? Did her brother murder her? Did she walk off on her own? Or, you know, was it somebody else? And surprisingly, 50-some percent in the discussion group said someone else. And I think probably a lot of people were thinking that her brother, Frank, had something to do with it. <clears throat> but 30-some percent of you in the discussion group picked that it was Stacy. So we had 50-some percent uh, for someone else. I'm thinking people are thinking it's Frank. And then 30-some percent saying it was Stacy, and then the rest of that, like 10%, was were the rest of the answers. Now, in the think tank, it wasn't a total 
uh, unanimous decision, but a majority of the people in the think tank thought that Stacy did it. And I will tell you at the blog that I write at patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast, please, if you'd like to support unfounded what we do here, I urge you to go sign up if only for $2 a month. I also decided that uh, Stacy uh, Werder was the uh, the culprit, the perpetrator in this. It just came down to me going back to simplicity, simplicity and complexity, that that is just the simplest answer. Now, I, would, I admitted in the blog that's 3,000 some words that I don't have a good answer why Louise – kind of knew where Stacy was in Montana like days or weeks later. I have no idea. I mean, never know. I have no idea why seemingly she was the only person who could put Stacy Werder in Williston, North Dakota at that time. Even though there were rumors that he worked as a dishwasher here and everything else. Uh, you heard what Lisa Joe had to say in the interview that really it's all going by Louise. I've I've no explanations for any of that. I just don't. It just seems to me overall this test has all the feeling of a the man said type of disappearance. And something went down and Stacy harmed Barbara and was able to get rid of her somehow. Now how I get to all that I urge you to go read the blog or listen to the blog. It's like it's like really another podcast. If you'd like to add another podcast to your repertoire, nice French word, um, please sign up $2 a month and you can listen to me reasoning a lot of these things out. And it's um, each of these blogs, if you're listening, it's about 17, 18 minutes. So it, it just seemed to me that that, was the simplest answer. And we just know how many of these disappearances, when they do get solved, they're very straightforward. Even the ones maybe we're surprised by, maybe we're surprised by Esther Westerbarger, but still fairly straightforward. Um, you know, rarely, rarely, rarely are we way, way surprised. Now, Bowman's, I don't think anybody is surprised that he is deceased. I think it's just a surprise that he was like only a quarter mile away the whole time. I think that's the surprise. I don't think anybody's surprised that it's unfortunate, sad, sucks. But I don't think too many people are surprised that he's deceased. So we're just surprised on where he was. Whether he was there from day one or he was there just with, within, you know, right before they found him. I don't know. So that's why I just default to Stacy doing it. But if somebody wants to say, you know what? Louise sure did act strange. I think she did it. Man, that Frank, her brother, didn't seem like a too good of a guy. You know, I, I, I can't really fault people for thinking that either. Um, let's see here uh, what everybody uh, – yeah, uh, Valerie is reminding everybody to hit the thumbs up. Thank you, Valerie. Yeah, everybody hit the thumbs up. As you are watching tonight, and we have some uh, new viewers in here that didn't hear it when I brought it up an hour or 45 minutes ago. So please give uh, the video a thumbs up. 
Uh, Kathy, Twinkle Bow may have traded the computers for drugs. Well, let's hope, you know, that, that very well could be, Kathy. I think the only thing we have to start questioning, then how was, if he had all his business records and everything on there, then, you know, what was he going to do? Or maybe this was a one-way trip. Maybe he was, um, maybe he was suicidal or something. That's the only way I could see that happening, Kathy. Marty, I think if it was an accidental OD for Bo, anything valuable yet on him, the people there took and pawned for each. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, let's just admit it. If that day with his computers and everything, he immediately went down to that area and got high and overdosed, then yeah, everything else that's going to be there is just going to be ripped off. Now, why? Didn't some homeless person call it in? Why did it take a year and a half? I have no idea. But surely, yeah, if the computers and everything, they would be gone. Uh, Delane says, Ed, haven't we done only three disappearances from my state in North Carolina? Delane, off the top of my head, I, I really couldn't tell you. Uh, I just kind of know the states we haven't covered disappearances in yet. Um, Delane, but I could not tell you, you know, number for number for number for each. Um, you know, Kathy, you know, I know sometimes keeps track of those things. Uh, you know, of course, Crystal Morrison is North Carolina. And, uh, just, it's, it's just tough for me after 290 disappearances to be able to tell state by state. I know we've covered a ton in Texas. I know we've covered a ton in Arkansas. Uh, of course, California being the most populated state. We've covered quite a few there. Covered quite a few here in Florida. Once again, a very populated state. Um, but, you know, for like North, Ter- North Dakota, I think that was at least our second, if not third, disappearance there. I know we've gone to Montana, Idaho at least th- four times there. You know, we've gone to the state of Washington, Oregon. You know, we just uh, – Hawaii, we haven't covered a disappearance in Hawaii yet. Haven't covered a disappearance in Rhode Island yet. Um, you know, there's just a few states that we haven't gotten to yet, but I couldn't tell you about North Dakota or North Carolina, Delaney. Um. Puma, uh, Kathy and Puma agree with uh, Marty regarding the taking of the stuff. Carrie says, I think sketchy brother and mom was protecting brother. Uh, it makes a lot of sense regarding that. A lot of uh, parents protecting their children out there. And Stacy was just a patsy, okay? Uh, Stacy was the scapegoat. Uh, but the man didn't say, did he? Or did mom say the man said? That's true. Rockford, how does Bo end up in the spot? Is it a dump off, for lack of a better term? Do you wonder in there? I have to think the former is more probable. That's what everybody's debating right now, Rockford. Like I was saying earlier, I don't think the discovery of his remains has really pushed the needle any which way. I think everybody's pretty still solid in their own theories. Uh, Twinkle, I think he was robbed and killed inside that house. And okay, regarding Bo, Kathy, I think Bo shut up there rather than being dumped there. Rougher. I'm reminded of a recent high school prof over OD in another part of LA where a model and her friend were dropped at a hospital by two masked men who were their party pals from earlier that night. Yeah, um, I, I know what you're talking about, Rockford. In fact, all of that has been tried to uh, 
be uh, connected uh, to the the woman who went missing and her dog was found on the 28th floor of that high rise too. Some people have tried to put that all, you know, connect that all together. All right, moving on. Uh, I want to move on to this story about... I'm going to get to Natalie Holloway next, uh, but I want to go to this. Um, I want to talk about this poisoned husband. A Utah man feared for his life before his wife, a children's book author, allegedly killed him with fentanyl, according to Summit County court documents. Prosecutors say Corey Richens, 33, poisoned her husband of nine years, Eric Richens, 39, with fentanyl on the evening of March 3rd of 2022, so over a year ago, at their home in Carnes, just outside of Park City. I've been there. While their three young sons were sleeping. The month prior, on Valentine's Day in 2022, Eric Richens suspected his wife was trying to poison him. A warrant for her arrest states. Eric and the defendant had a Valentine's Day dinner at their Carnes home. Shortly after dinner, Eric became very ill. Eric believed he had been poisoned. Eric told a friend that he thought his wife was trying to poison him, the warrant reads. On March 3rd, 2022, the night prosecutors alleged Curry Richens killed her husband. She allegedly served her husband a cocktail to celebrate a home sale. Corey owns a real estate firm called K. Richens Realty, LLC. She later told authorities she left him briefly to check on one of their son sleeping children And when she returned, she found Eric Richens unresponsive. Eric Richens had five times the lethal dosage of the illicit fentanyl. And we know that it doesn't take much. I mean, five times, you know, it's like a period on a page or something. An opioid that is 50 or to 100 times more potent than morphine in his blood. Corey Richens is also facing charges of possession of GHB, commonly known as the date rape drug. Her charges are based on officers' interactions with Richens and an unnamed acquaintance who apparently told Summit County authorities that she sold fentanyl to the mother of three, who had asked for some of the Michael Jackson stuff. That's nice. Authorities said they determined during their investigation that despite Richens' statements saying she left her phone in her bedroom where she went to check on her children the night of March 3rd, 2022, Her phone activity indicated that it had been locked and unlocked multiple times during that period and showed no physical movement. Additionally, messages were sent and received during that period, but deleted. Richens' arrest also comes two months after she appeared on TV to promote her children's book about grief, Are You With Me? A description for the book, which sells for $14.99 on Amazon, uh, and I should say, if, if somebody got a copy of this and got one signed, uh, it's probably worth something now, especially if she goes to jail. States that Are You With Me is a must-read for any child who's experienced the pain of loss and for parents who want to provide their children with the emotional support they need to heal and grow. And it's, it occurs to me that this is not the first story that I've covered on and found where a female author killed somebody. I think I, I'm gonna I'm gonna call it within the last year or two years. I did another story about an author who might have even been a crime author or somebody. 
who murdered a guy in her life or, or uh, a lover, somebody, somebody like that. Um, let's see what everybody's saying here. Uh, the guy in city made the flyer for me. We talked to his dad and his dad said that he's probably already been found and buried. Oh, in a pauper's grave. Well, that would be, yes. That's another one. Um, Kent Jacobs is another North Carolina. Th- uh, maybe that's the one you're thinking of. Uh, his dad wouldn't give him DNA, but hopefully his mom did. I don't know her. Carrie, she was in a grieving spouse group with my sister-in-law. My sister-in-law bought her book. Sister-in-law is sick, but whole about whole deal and subsequently burnt the book. Wait a minute. So your sister-in-law was in a spot spouse group with the woman in the story of Carrie. Really? That is fantastic. Um, what, what does your sister-in-law have to say about her just as a person and everything? Uh, Puma, I'm glad they arrested her and didn't wait for years to do so. Delane, now that is what you call evil. And yeah, that's what I thought, Marity. Evil is an understatement. Now, but I have a, I have a serious, serious question here. And I'm not trying to be funny. I'm really not. Serious. Horrible. But what kind of person, I don't care what gender you are, sticks around after you think that your spouse tried to poison you? Now, I I realize that I've been known to make some of fun of some of my, uh, or all, let's not, let's not be, uh, let's not trifle with this, all of them, but trust me, it's all in jest. It's all in fun. You know, I've been uh, known to make fun of my exes. Of course, I'm not married, so I'm talking about ex-girlfriends and you should know I have pretty good relationships with most of my ex-girlfriends. Women, you know, spent some time with pretty much couple of them, not so much, but, but here's what I think I know. If I ever thought one of them tried to poison me, I wouldn't be hanging around that woman anymore. And if this guy really thought that his wife tried to poison him and even to the point where he told somebody else about it, what are you doing in that house? And I realize they have kids together, but you're the one who got poisoned. You're the person who brought it up to other people. I, I, I don't, you know, what is he doing? Was it just, you know, and so, but this is, this is, I think, common. Um, I think that you Google this enough, you'll find many people who ended up dying, who before they died says, you know what? I think my husband's trying to poison me. I think my wife's trying to poison me. I think my girlfriend's trying to poison me. You see, you'll Google that. You'll find a lot of stories like that. I don't know why people don't act on their suspicions. Why didn't he go to the hospital and get checked out? Was there fentanyl in his system? Was there GHB in his system? Was there cyanide in his system? You know, find these things out. In addition to getting the kids out of there. Instead, it was Valentine's Day, so that's February 14th, and this happened on March 3rd, so like, let's just say three weeks later, two and a half weeks later, he's dead. I don't understand this. I, I, I would think that if I ever thought I got poisoned by somebody, 
that I wouldn't be sticking around if whether I was married or not. This is just something maybe I don't maybe because I'm a single guy everything I just don't quite understand that. But it seems pretty extreme to me that he went to that. He didn't default to you know what we would call food poisoning where he ate something that was spoiled or or something or he you know like like the way I think I might have gotten COVID, you know, I was at a Walmart and did I run into somebody, you know, something like that. Um, you know, he just out and out said, I seemingly to a friend of his, yeah, I think my wife poisoned me. What are you doing there? I don't, I don't, I just have no explanation. Uh, let's see what everybody's saying. Uh, yes. Uh, yes. Brother-in-law committed suicide. Uh, whose brother-in-law committed suicide, Carrie? Carrie, the whole group, all oh, those in shock. Okay, he did it for his three kids. Puma. Um, no, Jeff Jackson's Kent Jacobs family has been totally seriously searching for him, and I don't think they will ever stop. Um, Puma says she tried two years prior to kill him. I, I didn't read that. Thank you, Puma. Twinkle, Denial ain't just a river in Egypt. Look at you, Twinkle. Carrie, Ed, sent a screenshot about her post. She messaged me later. Let me see this. All right. Um, I won't read the person's name, of course. The fact this woman is in one of my widow groups is disgusting. And she would help us with kids on teaching them grief stuff. Wow, small world. It's kind of like six degrees of separation, Carrie. Uh, one of my assistants, of course, Carrie is also a very good friend of mine. She's just not an assistant. Uh, Carrie, you're a very good friend of mine. So um, a friend of mine's sister-in-law was in a grief group with this woman. So that's like three degrees of separation from this killer. Wow, okay. I didn't read her name. Uh, Puma, she was hoping for a life insurance payout. But he switched the beneficiary to his sister. I see. She somehow even got access to his life insurance. Okay. Deborah, all the very least, the, the very least, don't eat or, eat or drink anything she prepared. Puma, Delane is, he found out and switched it back. Delane, I count six North Carolina disappearances covered by Unfound. And Jessica Greeno, right. There you go. It could be a couple things. Same, same mentality as woman who stays with abusive men. Some guilt feelings on his part for whoever caused her to do that to him. Both are rational, but could be true. Okay, Rockford. Delane, yes, but it's funny she was able to do it in the first place. An accomplice, maybe. Maybe. Got to believe. I'd have to believe maybe that she had another guy in her life. Uh, your brother-in-law. I'm sorry to hear that, Carrie. Marty, maybe he couldn't afford a divorce from her. Uh, <laughs> so... That's funny you put it that way, Marty. So he could afford to die, but he couldn't afford a lawyer. Okay. Uh, yeah, and then, yes, I remember her. Yeah, Jessica Garino. I just don't know what the plan is. You you suspect that your wife poisoned you. Then what is the plan for the rest of your life? To just cross your fingers and hope that she doesn't do it again. I mean, we have to start thinking that way. Okay, he sticks around. Well, then what is the plan? How do you intend to be on this earth for, let's say, the next 30 years? No. I mean, I, I get what Rockford's saying 
uh, you know, battered man syndrome or something. But not so battered Rockford that he couldn't talk to somebody else about it. Uh, you know, it seems like he perfectly understood everything. I, I guess he got it right. He didn't just, you know, it wasn't that he just had a suspicion that he got poisoned on Valentine's Day. It turned out that he was right. If you divorce Marty, was a construction owner, multimillionaire. Uh, Carrie, if you divorce me, you will never see the kids again. A lot of family courts are pro-mom. That's true, Carrie, but here's how we can guarantee he'll never get to see his kids again if he gets poisoned and dies. Marty, haha, some people think it's easier to hope it'll pass. I, I, I guess the, then the question is, Marty, has ever uh, a spouse poisoned, uh, has ever, for example, has ever a woman poisoned her husband and then said, you know what, I'm not doing that again? I mean, I know this is like satire or something at this point, but I'm thinking once you like cross that river to use the cliche or that bridge or that thin red line or whatever you want to call it, whatever cliche is out there, um, you can't go back. It seems to me anybody who's going to poison somebody is going to keep poisoning that person until the person is dead. Do not adults know that? Don't know. Um, don't uh, Delane says so true. Uh, Deborah, don't eat or drink anything she prepared. If I had to stay, you might be able to do that for a while, Deborah. But after a while, I mean, it's going to get you. It's like the elephant in the room, right, Deborah? Okay, we're not going to talk about the point the, that fact that you poisoned me on Valentine's Day. I'm just not ever going to eat or drink anything you give me anymore. This this does sound start sounding like a dark comedy to me. Uh Carrie, I just really hope he had a plan that, that he didn't have time to fulfill. Yeah, it just it just doesn't. Rockford, I don't see it as that much different than what are some more common forms of physical abuse. Some women tell others about that. They hope it won't happen again, much less become fatal. I don't know. Um you know, I guess what I would say, Rockford, is unfortunately, we know there are a lot of men who beat women who don't end up killing them. On the other hand, I don't know what the percentages are, but I'm going to say it's a very, very high percentage of spouses who get poisoned do end up dying of being poisoned. I guess that's the way I would look at it. Hey, there's Cherie. What's going on, Cherie? We're talking about this guy who got poisoned and died in Utah, and how, like, three weeks before that, he suspected that his wife poisoned and didn't leave. We're talking about that. Uh, Sheree, maybe you've uh, seen that story. So it's just hard for me to understand. I realize that we can maybe, like Rockford is doing, you know, kind of reason it out. It just... It just doesn't... You know, I, I, you know kind of... Uh, what would word be? Rationalize it. Why stayed? We can certainly rationalize it. Still doesn't seem very logical, very good choice. What is your plan? Type of things. And, you know, not even, you know, going, you know, to the hospital or anything. I just, it's crazy. Um, hello, Miranda. What's going on with you? Good to see you tonight. 
So moving on, I want to talk about Natalie Holloway. And as I stated very early on in this, uh, in the live show tonight, uh, I don't think I've ever spoke, talked about her disappearance ever on a live show. And I'm going to guess that I've spoken to a few listeners like messaging on Messenger somewhere about her disappearance. I don't think I've ever talked about it on here. So this, I think, is a first. But I wanted to talk about it because Joran uh, Vandersloot, Joran or Joran Vandersloot, uh, is supposed to be getting extradited to the United States, not necessarily having anything to do with what everybody believes he did in murdering Natalie. But if you'll remember, he tried to extort Natalie's family, saying he had information and everything when he really didn't. And those are the charges he's actually still facing in the United States that he's not answered for because, of course, he killed this other woman in uh, in Peru and has been in jail down there. But uh, this gives me an opportunity to talk about this and just give some of my insights into her disappearance because I don't think I've ever done this publicly before. So Mountain Brook, Alabama, the jailed murderer facing charges in the connection to the 2005 disappearance of Alabama teen Natalie Holloway could stall his extradition to the United States for months, according to a high-ranking law enforcement official. Dutch citizen Jorn Vandersloot awaiting extradition from Peru to face extortion charges in connection to Holloway's disappearance, could stall his arrival on American soil until as late as August of 2023. While serving time in a Peruvian prison for the 2010 murder of Stephanie Flores, Vandersloot has proven to be an unruly person. Colonel Carlos Lopez Aida, the chief of Interpol in Lima, Lima Peru, told Fox News Digital. Cruz government has agreed to send Vandersloot to the U.S. on a temporary basis to face trial, in part because witnesses connected to the 2010 extortion case would significantly age by the time his sentence expires. Taking this background into consideration, we as policemen could presume that he could have been he could have killed Natalie Holloway, the colonel said. That is not ruled out in any way because of the way he acts, those psychopathic traits. That murderous attitude, which everybody's saying here. Uh, good to see you too. Marnie, moral of the story, if someone poisons you, they don't love you. Yeah, I, I <laughs> yeah, right. I poison you because I love you. Uh, maybe like, what do they call that? Uh, Munchausen by proxy, uh, Marty. Uh, Delane, yeah, she should have only gotten that one shot and that was over with. That's, uh, hello, coffee, what's going on? Monday is tough for me. I think it's Monday is tough for everybody. Coffee, uh, Miranda. What is this prison sent? What is this prison sentence in Peru? It's quite a while, Miranda. Many years. Marty's spouses who poison their spouse seem to do it repeatedly. Uh, okay, getting back to this, the extradition could happen in a matter of days or months, according to Lopez Aida. Part of it depends on transportation arrangements, a formal commitment from the U.S. government to agree to return Vandersloot to Peru to complete his sentence there before he goes to federal prison and whether Vandersloot files a habeas corpus petition that could significantly delay his transfer. His defense lawyer in Peru, Maximo Altez, uh, said last week that the move could paralyze the extradition for a little while, but he ultimately expects Vandersloot to be sent to the United States. The U.S. has 30 days from Friday to agree to Peru's terms, once the agreement is in place, extradition could take between a day and a week, the colonel said. But at the latest, he said it could happen in July or August. 
Van der Sloot will either be flown to Alabama on a U.S. government plane or escorted by U.S. marshals on a commercial flight. How would you like to be on that commercial flight? Going from uh, Peru to the United States with Jorn van der Sloot, all handcuffed up with a couple marshals. That would be interesting. The convicted killer is being held at the Chalapaca prison 4,600 meters above sea level. Must be hard to breathe. Leander Sloot's lawyer described the maximum security prison as hell <coughs> and said some relatives believe the Dutch citizen may be better off in U.S. custody. That is certainly true. I mean, is if you care about that. Part of the reason he was placed there is he's, he disrespected authorities when an intransigent attitude and got caught using a smuggled cell phone in his previous lockup. He also has uh, had seven years tacked down to his sentence, sentence for trafficking drugs behind bars. Chalapalka is so remote, there's no self-service there, the colonel said. Vandersloot is expected to return there after a trial in the Northern District of Alabama. We assume that the U.S. authorities will have enough evidence about his crimes, and if they find him guilty and he is sentenced after he served here in the Peru, he will be transferred so they can be also sentenced in the United States. Regardless of the outcome, he won't be getting out of prison for a long time. You were asking this. His prison sentence uh, runs through 2038, and he faces another 40 years in the United States. Vandersloot is facing federal charges of extortion and wire fraud for allegedly selling fake information about the location of Holloway's remains to her mother in a $250,000 plot in 2010. He's not been charged in the teen's disappearance and presumed death but has been the prime suspect in the case since the beginning. He and his two friends, Satish and Deepak Kelpo, were seen leaving in Aruba nightclub with her on the night she vanished. All three were arrested and released multiple times as Aruba authorities investigated the case. Holloway was visiting Aruba on a trip to celebrate high school graduation. She never made it back to her hotel and missed her flight home. Vanderfoot Sloot's father, Paul, was a prominent judge on the island before his death in 2010. And uh, then they talk about his murder of the, the Flores woman. And then it goes into the circumstances of her disappearance. Uh, she left in a car with 17-year-old. There was video of her leaving with 17-year-old Jorn van der Sloot, a Dutch honors student who was living in Aruba and attending the International School of Aruba. And his two Sermonese friends, brothers, 21-year-old Deepak Kalpo and 18-year-old Satish Kalpo, Holloway was scheduled to fly home later that day, but she did not appear for her return flight. Her packed luggage and her passport were found in her holiday in room. A room authorities initiated searches for Holloway throughout the island and surrounding waters, but did not find her. And I know many of you are much more schooled on all the ins and outs of her disappearance than I am. Uh, however, what I will say, you know, in reading as much as I could in preparation for the show tonight, this obviously was a disappearance. The investigation got out of hand very, very quickly. Uh, certainly, it seems like it was totally uh, above anything that the Aruban police and government could do. Certainly doesn't help that Jorn van der Sloot's father was a prominent, as it says, a prominent judge there. In fact, I think many people believe that the father... Um, you know, could have assisted in all of this, you know, covering all of this up. In fact, assisting, you know, no matter how Natalie died and getting rid of her body and covering this all up. What's hard for me to understand is that certainly 
um, they would have been in a position to get Yorn off the island very quickly, but that didn't happen. So, you know, I'm not sure what to think of it because he's a Dutch citizen and I know Aruba and Dutch and all, I don't know, is it a territory? I don't know, but, you know, very could have easily been that, um, that, you know, the father could have put him on a private plane, got, sent him back, what is it, Dutch, the Netherlands, and he would have been totally out of the jurisdiction of anybody trying to get to him. I don't know if there's any extradition policy between that. Of course, he's not going to get extradited to the United States because the crime did not happen there. We have to realize this. The reason he's facing charges in the United States don't really have anything to do with the disappearance, has things to do with what he did after against uh, Natalie's parents. And that then becomes under the jurisdiction of uh, the federal courts in the, the court in the United States, but she went missing in Aruba, which of course is not a United States territory. So I still wonder if there was some cover up afoot and conspiracy afoot, why they just didn't send them on a plane back to the Netherlands. And it very well, we have to admit, had they done that, I really don't know what could have been done. As long as he didn't like leave the Netherlands and go to some country that might go along with getting him back to Aruba, he could be a free man to this day. I also have to believe then that this Flores woman, young woman, would still be alive though too. So that is something that uh, crossed my mind. It also didn't help that you know the the media coverage of this at the time was completely completely crazy and the problem what you have is that vandersloot he was more than happy to to just lean into all of it i mean just reading i mean he's told like five or six seven different stories as to what happened you know and then he backtracked and he said well that doesn't count because i was on you know marijuana at the time when i said it and he was more than happy to lead everybody around in a wild goose chase. And the media was more than happy to follow him around. And see, this is something, and this is why, this is one of the reasons that Unfound has run the way it is, is that sensationalism and, you know, the National Enquirer type of, you know, chasing of information and, you know, the sensationalism and the conjecturing and theorizing and everything else that the National Enquirer does in the United States and many other places, podcast two, and then the Sun over in the United Kingdom and everything else, all that stuff does nothing but help the killers. It does not help the victims. Uh, but the media totally lost its mind over all of this. And it was not covered in a very objective way. Um, and this also... Did not help the Holloways at all. Didn't help investigators at all. It certainly helped Jorn Vandersloot quite a bit. It just clouded the entire issue to the point that, you know, of course, first they blamed it on a couple of security guards at the hotel, and then it was this, and then it was that. And, you know, he left her on the beach, and she ran off, and all these other things, and completely willing to buy into all of it. So many people so eager for the story and headlines and eyeballs and all those things. This is how this happens. 
And the only person that has benefited from this is Vandersloot. Now, of course, he's gotten in his own share of problems since all of his own doing. You know, murdering another woman, uh, trying to extort Natalie Holloway's family and everything else. But surely this investigation was bungled. But it was also bungled by the media as well. And it all helped one person, Jorn Vandersloot. See what everybody um, is saying here. Um, Delane, my mama and her sisters all knew their Black Widow, the Black Widow Velma Barfield. I believe she was electrocuted. The name is familiar to me, Delane. Twinkle, I heard that he was wheeling dealing drugs in prison. He was, and that's why he had time tacked on, Twinkle. Uh, Carrie says, sign me up. I would want to talk to him, get into his head as an advocate for research. Kathy Delane saw a program about Velma. Um, that doesn't seem like enough time for murder, uh, regarding Vandersloot. Um, uh, someone said that the dad was at the casino that night. Very well could have been twinkle. Glenn was in Aruba in December. The bar she met him changed its name. I can understand that too. Rockford never got into this case. Not my cup of tea. I'll say this though. If everyone wants a poster child for never, ever will be rehabilitated, lock him up and throw away the key. It's this dude. Certainly true. Rockford. The media clown car sure didn't help Aruba's tour industry at all. And then, yeah, I read about that too. It certainly took a hit. And this is why, you know, I've said uh, at least a couple times on this live show over the years, for all you American citizens, you go overseas, good luck. Good luck if something happens. You know, I love our allies, our American allies to the North Canada you know, England, Australia, I love our allies, Germany and France and all these things. But still, if you are an American and something happens to you in one of those countries, you go missing in one of those countries, good luck. You know, and I guess they'd say the same about us. German, French uh, coming to this country and something happens here, somebody goes missing. Once again, good luck. Good luck. And, you know, I, you know, it's just these, we have to remember something. These Caribbean countries go way out of their way to cover up all of the crime problems they have there. You have to remember that. All of them. Every single one of them. Even like the ritzy places where all the rich people go and everything else. All of these places have huge crime problems. And I can tell you, uh, you know, you know, it's just like if you, um, you know, go on a cruise ship. You know, if you go like take a Caribbean cruise or something like that, don't if you go one of these land excursions like they, you know, you can pay to go like bike riding or canoeing or zip lining through a forest or whatever else. You got to be careful. Um, and, and of course, unfortunately for Natalie Holloway, it seems like she ran into one of the worst people on the island of Aruba. And he just happened to be a 17-year-old uh, guy, her age. You know, and I, you know, uh, what we have to be open to is that 
Um, you know, are we sure that we already know the for sure killed this Flores woman? We know that he 99.999 for sure, uh, for sure murdered Nally Holloway. Shouldn't we be open to the idea that maybe he murdered at least one woman before Natalie Holloway? Does that not make a lot of sense? You know, surely it was not a coincidence that he was at that place and just happened to run into her. And of course, she was very drunk. And you can read about, um, you know, how a lot of these chaperones who were on that trip got in a lot of trouble because these high school students completely, completely were out of control when they went to Aruba. You know, it was like the chaperones and everything weren't even there. I can tell you for sure, it was not, uh, as we've talked about many times, predators go where the prey is. It's the same, you know, they asked that one uh, famous bank robber, hey, why do you rob banks? What was his answer? Because that's where the money is. It's the same way with this. Joran Vandersloot, Joran, Joran, and his buddies were at that Holiday Inn or wherever the, you know, these high school kids were partying. Because it was a place that they could go find some drunk girl or girls and do things to them. Let's just admit it. Now, whether that ends up being necessarily murder, it's uh, it's very easy to imagine an idea where she's drunk. They want to have sex with her. They try to rape her. She fights back. They kill her. Very common. Happening, unfortunately, every day all across the world. So, um, but this is just, uh, you know, it's very sad. But it also seems to me that this got bungled in a bunch of ways. And I just don't mean by the police. Now, what's tough to understand, though, you know, Aruba as an island, is not that big. I didn't check it, but it is smaller than most of the states in the United States. It's very, very small. And there's only so many places she could be. And this what's, you know, I have to admit, I'm not inclined to believe that they took her out in the water. That seems like uh, a lot of work. Um... So I have to admit, I'm still inclined to believe that her remains are, you know, they didn't have time to, you know, uh, chop her up or anything. It seems to me that this all got started fairly quickly. So I have to admit, I'm inclined to believe that uh, she unfortunately is deceased, but probably her body, the bones and everything are all still together somewhere. And I don't believe it's out in the water. I happen to believe that it's on land somewhere. But that makes it hard to understand because, once again, Aruba is not that big uh, of an island. In addition, I'm not inclined to believe, as bad as Jorn Vandersloot is, this does not strike me as something as being premeditated, where this is all part of some plan to pick up a, a girl and kill her. So this would have been something that they would have had to have figured out on the fly. And so that still makes it harder and harder to, under, harder to understand how after 18 years, her remains have not been found when there's only so many places to look. 
what is everybody saying here? Rockford, no, you Rockford, the media clown car. Um, Karen says, <coughs> Karen says, don't worry, we look for missing Americans in Australia. Thank you, Karen. Thank you for doing that for us. Delane, of course they do. Revenue, revenue, revenue is more important than a human life. Marty, I agree. Ed. Natalie probably wasn't the first and was in his last. It's something to consider. We know two victims. You know, and I guess what we're saying is him being suspected in Natalie's disappearance did not stop him at all to killing another woman a few years later. Now, of course, he says with this other woman, it was a spur of moment. He lost his temper. It wasn't planned. And I guess I'm willing to believe that. But there, the him being under the microscope did not change his behavior at all. Did not one bit. Still a killer. Yeah. Uh, Delane, again, the guy that kidnapped little Cleo only got like 13 years, I think, isn't kind of saying he wanted a living doll. Rockford, you couldn't pay me enough to be a chaperone on one of those. No way. The chaperone I feel the worst for is the one in the Jesse Ross case. He seemed like a really good guy. Yeah, that happened there too. But yeah, um, but uh, it's out there. You can read everything that these high school students were doing, including Natalie herself. I mean, they just totally, I mean, um, lots of stuff going on. Kathy Rockford agreed. Jesse Chaperon looked all over for him. Yeah. Here's what I always also say, something that comes up in Natalie Holloway's disappearance. I, I have to admit, I don't believe that she was sex trafficked. I, you know, this is one of those things that uh, I think a lot of parents hope for because then that would mean that, you know, mainly daughters are still alive. Yes, they're in horrible conditions and yes, they might be chained up in a basement somewhere and all these things, but then that wouldn't, you know, it means that, you know, at least the girl is still alive and she can be found just like these women were found in Cleveland, uh, you know, from Ariel Castro, that type of situation. But this just does not at all strike me as a sex trafficking situation where they went there and got her and uh, shipped her off somewhere. If it were, we'd be hearing about stories like this you know, all the time, you know, there are a lot of teenagers going to all of, you know, these islands, whether in the Caribbean or Aruba or whatever else. And I realized that, um, you know, that all these, you know, they all have their different cultures and different, technically different countries. And some of them are, um, you know, territories of other big countries like the Island of St. Martin is part, uh, Dutch and part French. I've been there. I get that, but if this was really the situation that she got sex trafficked, then you'd be hearing this all the time because teenagers are teenage girls are going to these islands all the time, and are doing the things that Natalie Holloway was doing. And it seemed it would be if you are a sex trafficker, this is where you'd want to be. But the reason that uh, I think Natalie Holloway's disappearance continues to stick out is because of how rare it is. It's not necessarily about her. Maybe we got the, it very well could be because it's the pretty white girl syndrome going on. Certainly possible, but it's also more likely because it is so rare. 
So I don't believe that she was sex trafficked either. I know that's something that has been talked about. Uh, she certainly falls into the demographic, but that's really about it. This is a situation. They picked her up. They, you know, she's an attractive girl. She's drunk. They're going to take advantage of her because they're horrible people. They're horrible uh, males. And something happened. Now, what's hard to figure is how could these three guys figure out where to put her in a place, how to get rid of her in a place uh, that has not been happened upon by anybody in the last 18 years, despite all the looking and everything else. It's a, it's it's hard to understand. Uh, Rockford, then you have Amy Bradley's parents who have a ton of questions about that night early morning. Kathy Rockford, to me, Amy Bradley clearly went overboard. I have to agree with Kathy Rockford. I'm not inclined to believe that Amy Bradley was sex trafficked at all. Not at all. Uh, the thing that still continues to stick with me, Rockford, is that with Amy Bradley, they knew she was missing before the ship ever got to the port. So the question is, how did they get, you know, they were looking for her. They, you know, if you've ever been on a cruise ship, you know, you have to show your ID and everything before you get on the cruise ship. Of course, you have to show it when you get back. You know, how did they smuggle her off a cruise ship? You know, when there's customs officials and everything else. Uh, I, that's why I tend to believe that she went overboard. Rockford, Kathy, I think she did one way or the other, but the how and what, under what circumstances are the questions for me. Rockford, uh, I think, you know, with as many disappearances uh, we've covered, it's hard to know what goes through people's minds. It's, it's just hard to tell. She could have been so drunk she stumbled and fell overboard. She could have been pushed. I don't know how you'd ever prove that. She could have been thrown overboard. She could have stumbled off. She could have been suicidal, but surely she did not make it to land, and surely she not was not sex trafficked. And I know there's that picture out there and people saying they saw her and everything. Having done 290 disappearances, I just know at this point to ignore all of it. Uh, Marty, alcohol makes anything possible. She went to the upper deck to smoke. Nope, went overboard. Happens. People falling off cruise ships, jumping off cruise ships all the time. So that's Natalie Holloway. Um, I, I still hold out hope that her remains are going to be found on the island. I, I think if they are, I think they're going to be in one piece. Uh, piece. I do not believe that you know they got a boat and took her out. I think that she, you know, somebody would have happened upon her, especially given all of the searching that was done. Um, you know, it just seems a little you know, too risky and everything else. So, um, but Jorn Vandersloot, he may be in the United States um, before too long to answer for trying to extort uh, her family, saying, I have information you really want to know, and that is illegal. That's what got him in trouble uh, with U.S. authorities. So moving on, um, I... I want to tell you about the next found episode. I'm hoping that uh, as we move into the summer, this is going to cause a lot of you to become Patreon supporters or YouTube supporters by hitting the join button below. Of course, the first found episode I did was of Brandon Lawson. 
And then the second one was of Elizabeth Smart, which is now out for Patreon people and supporters of this YouTube channel. The next one, uh, going to kind of stay in the same vein as Elizabeth Smart, the next found episode is going to be of J.C. Dugard. And of course, hers is very similar to Elizabeth Smart's, but it's different in some ways, mainly because she was missing for years and years and years, whereas Elizabeth Smart was missing for months. And in addition to the fact that JC actually had children with her abductor and they were raising them. And, you know, so I'm going to be getting into all of that kind of doing a little comparing and contrasting between Elizabeth's disappearance and JC's, even though they kind of fall into the same categories. So uh, I'd appreciate it. If you'd become a supporter of patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast, and you will get to hear uh, this next found episode. I think it's going to be done within the next 10 days. And of course you'll have access to the other ones and everything else, pretty much everything else that goes on at patreon.com. The blogs that I write, you get the episodes early and, um, some other uh, things that go on there. Marty says that's a great series. Thank you, Marty. And uh, thank you for telling everybody about it. It's something that I came up in a, a few months ago, an idea. And I'm going to keep doing it uh, through the summer. So I hope this will get some people to go to Patreon because we really, really rely on that support. If you may be wondering what are some of the other disappearances and discoveries that um, you know you you have planned. Uh, I've I've already stated that tight the Titanic is going to be one because um, of course we all know about the Titanic now, but a lot of people don't realize that it was missing. Even though you know people survived the sinking. It went from 1912 until 1986 before it was found. So if you were born in 1912, you were 74 years old when it was finally found. And how it was found is a fascinating story. Fascinating. I'm not sure how many people realize, um, you know, we're going to get into that. I don't want to give it all the way, but it's a fascinating story on how the Titanic was eventually found. Um, and also I'm going to get into why did it take that long for the Titanic? Of course, so many people died. There was, of course, uh, two mutants. Most people think, you know, James Cameron's Titanic. There were actually two movies made about the sinking of the Titanic before James Cameron's came out. And still it remained missing, was not found on the floor of the Northern Atlantic Ocean until 1986. Yeah, one of them is called A Night to Remember. That's True Coffee. That is one of the – that was the uh, – that I think was the silent movie version, Coffee. And then there was a movie at the Titanic uh, that was a talkie. Uh, and then finally the one um, that everybody now knows with James Cameron, Leonardo Copper. And Kathy says, I've all seen all three movies. I think I've seen two of them. I don't think I've seen uh, the silent movie. So the Titanic 
is going to be one. Also going to get into uh, Sir Edmund Hillary, who went missing uh, during uh, an Everest expedition. Want to get into him, a very, very missed guy who uh, went missing on Mount Everest and then uh, was eventually found and how he was found eventually, how many years that took. So these are some of the uh, disappearances that I already have on my list. I have typed out a list, and those are just a couple of them. Uh, Rockford says, speaking of boats, my unfound catch-up quest episode this week is Marco Island. I just started part two. Ooh, Rockford. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, The story that Jeff Wandich tells is just a little too tall for me. And Kathy Rock from the Marco Island 3 is case is fascinating. Even though there were eyewitnesses, people argued the ship didn't break in two. Yeah, that's why eyewitness accounts, Coffee. Even people who saw that ship go down, you know, couldn't get their, even though it's something they're never going to forget for the rest of their lives, there were different accounts of how, you know, it uh, sank. And it wasn't until the, the, the ship was eventually found that they could eventually piece that all together. Forgive the pun. Uh, one more thing before I want to, before I move on to the, um, the speaking of boats, uh, Rockford, going back to your statement, this Friday's episode also concerns boats. So uh, before I get to that, so let's get back to that in a moment. But I want to uh, continue to tell you and remind you of this new project that I have coming out and it's called how to podcast better than anyone. This is something that, uh, was put in my ear as an idea kind of back in November of 2022. And what I started doing was I started looking around at teachable courses some of the things that are on YouTube and elsewhere regarding how to start a podcast, what to do in what order and everything. And I have to admit, given that I am a podcaster that does everything himself, of course I have assistance, but when it comes to the actual podcast, writing it, recording it, editing it, you know, all of those things, I'm the only person that does all of that. Of course I have Emily, Sheree has brought some guests to the to the program other people have brought them to the program to the, the podcast but when, when it comes to actually putting the podcast together and marketing and everything i do that all myself and what i found is there's nobody out there who has had a lot of success who does a course like this you have to remember that a lot of podcasters that you listen to they do not do everything themselves in fact, I think you would be stunned if you were to find out how much behind the scenes that some hosts, all they really do is lend their voice to the podcast. They don't do any of the writing. They don't do any of the interviewing. It just sounds like they do. Even, you know, and I'm not talking about podcasters like at the Joe Rogan level and everything else. I'm talking about even podcasts being done by regular people like myself. You'd be surprised how many of those are like a group doing it. And so really, there's only a few people out there who are really knowledgeable enough because they do everything to really talk about what it takes to come up with a concept, 
have it come to fruition and then everything that's done after that because there's only a few people who have done all of that. Everything else is like a team effort, a group effort. And you find so many people talking about how to put a podcast together, but they don't have popular podcasts themselves. Or if they do, like I said, it's like a group effort and they just know one part of it and it's somebody else who's editing it and somebody else is writing it and you know they have a lot of money behind it and everything. Of course, Unfound doesn't have any of that. So I thought, you know what? Um, I think I can come up with a course on how to do this and uh, you know, from beginning to end. From concept to um, talking about the writing, the recording, the equipment, the marketing, the name, the logo, the music, and, and all of these things, you know, the schedule. I am certainly well equipped to do all of that. Because really, there is no, I'm telling you, I've looked, there, you know, as far as this being my business, there's really nobody out there. There's no real good instructional course out there by someone who has been doing it full time and knows what he or she is talking about and really is doing the nuts and bolts of the podcast. So that's why I finally put together this course, how to podcast better than anyone. It's over four hours of information going right from concept. And there's 16 different lessons concluding with how to cash in. Marketing, like I said, marketing, recording, writing, name and logo, and it's in order. And it's in order. I just don't do them in any, you know, any way, but lesson one's the beginning, and then lesson two, step three, step four, all the way to the end. And so I'm hoping it's going to be successful. I have to tell you, I've already been doing some advertising for it with Google Ads, and I've been getting a very good response rate, you know, the click-through rate and the advertising using keywords. And it's been going, um, you know, never done, never, having never done this before. Um, it's been going pretty well. The click rate has been very strong. The keywords are very strong. Um, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the price per click and everything has been very reasonable. So I'm hoping this is going to be something that becomes successful this summer. And so I hope you will go check out how to podcast better than anyone.teachable.com in your spare time. And you'll see me uh, kind of give a, a little, there's a little video of me kind of setting everything up. But the course will actually start being available uh, in June. And I hope all of you will, I know most of you don't want uh, to be podcasters, but I'm hoping if you know somebody who's thinking about getting into podcasting that doesn't have to do with true crime, this course can be used for anybody, for politics, archaeology, video games, basket weaving, sports. It's very general in that way. It's not particular to true crime and missing persons and everything. But if you know anybody uh, who you know might be good at that, is thinking about getting podcasting into podcasting, I hope you will point them toward this course. Like I said, it's over four hours, very in-depth. Some stories from my experience of putting Unfound together, some funny stories, some not-so-funny stories. 
and things that I did wrong. And I'm trying to teach everybody, the students, don't make the mistakes that I did. So I hope you will check it out or at least uh, mention it to some people out there who might be interested in, in that. And please go to the How to Podcast Better Than Anyone Facebook page that now exists. And I hope you will like it, follow it um, at your earliest convenience. Uh, another fan, Dale Kerstetter, right? I've watched the Unsolved Mysteries segment in Dale regarding many times. I can't help but think Dale was an unwilling participant. And uh, Yep. And what's, yeah, okay. So this Friday, I don't have a name for this episode yet, though, so bear with me. But this Friday, we are doing another boat disappearance. And that is the disappearance of Tony Schwark, S-C-H-W-A-R-K. This is a disappearance that is not on the Charlie Project, but it is on names. He went missing with a buddy of his, Dennis Bagnall. They went missing in the Bahamas on December 6th, 1986. And the sister of Tony, her name is Lisa Molyneux, is the guest. And what happened was Tony and Dennis were in Michigan. There was a guy named Bill who was front with Dennis and he said he had this boat in the Bahamas that needed taken back to Florida, to Fort Lauderdale. So on the East coast of Florida, could they fly out there and drive it back for him? They got out there uh, and another, a third guy, um, uh, a citizen of the Bahamas, like was going to be a guide for them, gone on the boat and they allegedly got in this big, like kind of speedboat. And we're taking it back to Florida, never to be seen again. Now, seems pretty straightforward. Did they run into a storm? Was there something wrong with the boat and everything? Well, the problem is that um, Dennis claimed he told his mother that he was taking $150,000 cash with him to the Bahamas. In addition, the owner of the boat did not let the Coast Guard know for a few days. So this kind of makes this, could this have been something else than just simply bringing a boat back to Florida? That is something you will have to decide for yourself when you hear the interview that I did with Tony's sister, Lisa. In addition to that, Tony and Dennis did not have a lot of ocean going experience with boats. So there you go. But that's this Friday. Tony Schwark, S-C-H-W-A-R-K, and Dennis Bagnall uh, also is on NamUs. And the third person, he's not on there because he is a citizen of the Bahamas. But that is this Friday. So that's all I have for tonight. Uh, Man, that two hours went fast. I feel spectacular. Really didn't cough that much. A little bit at the beginning, but not too much. But that's all I really have uh, for this live show. Thank you all for tuning in. Please remember to give this video uh, a thumbs up. Please consider supporting Unfounded through patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast or hit the join button below. And you will hear me Friday, of course, for uh, the episode on Friday that will come out at 2 p.m. Eastern on iTunes and everywhere else. Keep your heads on swivels. That's how you stay safe. Good night, everyone. And say hi to the boys for me, Charlie.